Well, good morning to everyone. We've been looking, we've been looking at Exodus and its themes and some of the principles of deliverance. I want to take as our text today Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. And I want us to talk about the people of God or the children of God. Who are they? Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. And God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. Who are these people? Their groaning, that's the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God has come down to deliver them. They have been in bondage in Egypt. And God is a God who intervenes. But in whose life does he intervene? It's the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, Begin with this story. Abraham Lincoln, back in the early 1800s, was a storekeeper in Illinois. And one day, uh, he always wanted to be a lawyer. And he always wanted to have a copy uh, of Blackstone's commentary on the law. And so he didn't have any money to buy it. It's very expensive. I think uh, he talks about having 50 cents uh, in his pocket, and that was all the money pretty much that he had. And a guy came by in a covered wagon, and he looked very poor. His wife looked very hungry, and he said, uh, Say, uh, I'll sell you this barrel for 50 cents. And more out of compassion than anything, he gave the guy 50 cents for a barrel. And then he took the barrel, and as the guy drove off with the wagon, he looked down into the barrel, and in the bottom of it, he saw a bunch of papers and he reached down and he pulled out Blackstone's commentary on the law. The very thing he'd been wanting. And he says, he said, I stood there holding the book and looking up to heaven, very impressed that God had something for me to do and I needed to get ready. Now, he wasn't even a Christian at that time. He, le- he became a Christian only later when he became the president. But I wonder if you've ever had that sense that God came down to you. This is what you have. This is the experience of the Exodus. In chapter 3, it says, I have come down to deliver them. That there's a sense of Uh, circumstances that God himself has arranged that just seems to interrupt the flow of your life. This is what I want to talk to you about today. Because this is the way God has touched the hearts of these people. He tells them he heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does God do this to us? Why does he intervene? Why does he step in? Why does he interrupt? Why doesn't he just leave us alone? (laughs) Sometimes we wish he would. 
In Exodus 6, 6, he says, I will bring you, I'll take you out of Egypt and bring you into the land that I promised to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for the possession. I am the Lord. The basis of the Exodus are, is the promises God made in Genesis. See, God made promises in Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made these, this covenant with Abraham. Um, you probably remember Abraham. Uh, in the first three chapters, Adam sinned and brought a curse on the ground. Remember that verse? Genesis 3.17 Cursed because he took the fruit of the tree, disobeyed God, lost the Garden of Eden. Cursed is the ground, the ha-adamah, the ground, the earth, the soil. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Now, in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham, he said, Abraham, I will bless you, not curse, but bless you, Make your name great, and you will spread the blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, curse those that curse you, and in you shall all the families of the earth. Ha-adama. Same word. Look, Adam brought curses upon the earth. Abraham is like a new Adam. He brings blessing upon the earth. Same word. He's a new Adam, bringing a new creation, a new order, and a new people. And everyone connected to Abraham becomes the blessed. And God intervenes. So when God sees his people, the descendants of Abraham, groaning in Egypt, in bondage, it says he remembered, chapter 2, verse 24, his covenant with Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob. Now, I don't know if you've uh, read their stories lately, but Abraham is not exactly a paragon of virtue. He goes down into Egypt in Genesis chapter 20, verse 2, and his wife, Sarah, is evidently very pretty. And so the king in Egypt there sees her and says, hey, I want her in my harem. And Abraham's like, whoa, this could be dangerous to me. And so he tells Sarah, lie and say, you're my sister. That way they won't kill me. That's not a great husband you want to be around in a crisis. This is the guy God, and this is after God made a covenant with him. And his son Isaac, in Genesis 26, verse 6, he goes down into Egypt, does the exact same thing, like father, like son. He tells the king of Egypt there, he said, that's my sister. You can have her. (laughs) Just don't hurt me. And Jacob, the grandson, he was such a schemer that he lied to his father, Isaac, stole the inheritance that by birthright Esau, his older brother, should have received so that Esau tried to kill him and he had to run away from home for 20 years. And he picked up two wives and two concubines while he was gone. 
(laughs) Now, you may think you're sinful. I doubt if there's a guy here that has two wives and two concubines, at least in the service. (sighs) (laughs) And so God makes a covenant with these people. And here's the thing that is so wonderful about the God of heaven. God keeps his promises not based on our performances. Hallelujah. Is that God is faithful even when we are not. When he enters a covenant, that covenant is sure. So we praise God for that. But now let's back up because this is the seed of Abraham. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15 and 16. We have this on the screen. Hebrews chapter 2. He says that he will deliver those who all all their life had a fear of death, were subject to bondage. For surely it is not angels he helps, but he helps the seed of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham. Those are the ones who get the help. He doesn't even help the angels. When the angels, Satan was an angel, demons were, are fallen angels, when they fail, did God help them? He didn't do anything for them. So they are still fallen. They have no promises, no hope. He helps who? Seed of Abraham. What is this help that he gives? Let me point out, I don't think this is exhaustive by any means, but here's some of the blessings, here's some of the help that God gives to the seed of Abraham. One, he gives them deliverance. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exodus 3, 7, I've seen the affliction of my people. See, they're his people. Who, who is his people? The seed of Abraham, they are his people. And he says, and I have come down to deliver them. So that's one thing, is deliverance from our bondage, from our enemies that hate us. Another thing is, he turns them from sin. And notice what I said there. He doesn't just say, hey, you guys, turn from your sin. No, he turns them. Listen to Acts chapter 3. Verse 25, Peter is speaking to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. He says, you're the sons of the prophets and of the covenant God made with the fathers when he said to Abraham, in your seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. So God raised up Jesus and sent him to you first to bless you. How? By turning you away from your wickedness. Notice he does not say, yeah, so you need to turn from your... No, he says, he, he blesses you by turning you. He, this is a, an act of unilateral grace to you. Where he graciously intervenes in your life. Here's a third thing that belongs to the seed of Abraham. And that is everlasting life, resurrection from the dead. He says uh, Jesus is 
speaking to the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 22. And in Matthew 22, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in resurrection, gave him this analogy, said, how can there be a resurrection? Take this hypothetical situation of a woman who's been married seven times and all seven husbands die, and, um, and then in the resurrection, if you have this resurrection, how are you going to sort that out? And Jesus didn't answer the question so much as, well, he said in the resurrection you don't have marriage, covenants like we do. But here's what he said um, in Matthew 21 or 22, verse 31. As for the resurrection, Jesus said to these Sadducees, he said, haven't you read what was said in Exodus that the, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I am the God. Not I was, but I am. Indicating he was and still is their God. Implying they're still alive just as God is still alive. Part of the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is that his descendants will have everlasting life. His seed, his children will live forever. That's the blessing. What blessing do you really have if you don't live forever? It's temporary. It's gone in a moment. Another blessing to the children and seed of Abraham is that they're, they're actually adopted as his children. Um, he calls them my people in Exodus 2.24. He calls them, look at uh, chapter 4 and verse 22 of Exodus. Chapter 4, verse 22. Here... Uh, you find God sent Pharaoh, uh, Moses to Pharaoh and he said, uh, you need to stop killing the Jewish babies and let the people go. And what's the reason? Exodus 4, verse 22. Thus you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you don't, I will kill your firstborn son. You quit killing my firstborn son, or I will kill your firstborn son. See, God has his children. Who are they? The seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. Those 12 sons had 12 families or clans, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the seed of Abraham, as is pictured in the Old Testament. Now, of course, there's a question here. You have a New Testament. Did y'all know that? (laughs) Amen? I'm glad for the New Testament. It explains the Old. Amen? If you only had the Old Testament, you would have no gospel and there would be no reason for you Gentiles to be here today. But we do have a New Testament, and it's put together by uh, those whom Jesus himself called. And here is the definition in the New Testament of the true seed of Abraham. Give me um, Galatians 3.28. Now, look at this. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. By the way, this is written by a Jewish man, Apostle Paul. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one or all the same in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, Galatians 3.29, then you are Abraham's seed. Hallelujah. If you belong to Christ, what does it matter if we're Abraham's seed or not? Hey, Abraham's seed gets deliverance from their enemies. Abraham's seed gets rescued from sin, turned from their sin. Abraham's seed gets a resurrection and everlasting life. Abraham's seed gets to be adopted as God's own children. So everything matters as to who you are in Jesus Christ. Your identity in Christ is everything for it's rooted deep in the Old Testament scriptures. The true seed of Abraham, he says, is those who belong to Christ. I like the way the Living Bible puts Galatians 3.29. It says, and now we are, we that are Christ's, are the true descendants of Abraham, and all of God's promises belong to us. Amen. What promises? Deliverance, rescued from sin, resurrection of the body, adopted as sons. Now, Paul points out, this is in Romans 9, 6, he says, not all Israel belongs to Israel. And he points out, not all children of Abraham are true descendants. And then he uses the illustration. Abraham, he points out, this is Romans 9, 6 to 8. Abraham had two sons. Y'all remember this story? He had Isaac and he had Ishmael. Now, Ishmael was a descendant of Abraham. He produced the Arabs. All the Arabic countries come from Ishmael. The Jewish nation comes from Isaac. And he he points out, he says, look, these are two different, they're both genetically from Abraham, but he says they're two different births, nature of birth. Uh, Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah when they were very old. And they could not produce, like 100 years old. So if you're 100 years old, you're probably not going to have a baby, okay? So Isaac was born when they were 100 years old. Thus, Isaac was born by the power of God. Now, Ishmael was born to a young Egyptian girl by Abraham named Hagar. Natural birth. And what, what Paul says is, in Galatians four twenty eight, we, brethren and he's speaking to Galatians who are Gentiles, he says, we are like Isaac. We are born of the Spirit by the power of God. God has worked in our life. And what do you do with those who are born simply of the flesh? He quotes Scripture here. He says, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman, Hagar, and her son, for he will not be heir with Isaac the seed. 
You have those born by the power of God. You have those born by the flesh. And those those who are born by the power of God are not only included in the seed, they're the only seed there is. Those born of the flesh are rejected. So therefore, Paul is saying, he's Jewish, he goes into synagogues and he says, if all you have is a physical genetic descent from Abraham, you're in big trouble. You're going to be cast out. The true people of God are those who have met God in power and he has brought new birth and new life into their heart. That's the seed of Abraham. If you look back at these things that I have said that are part of belonging to Abraham, such as, for example, deliverance, God rescues believers in Jesus, those who belong to Jesus. He, part of our inheritance is to be delivered from our enemies. You can pray that. I know some of you are like, you've got some circumstances, you've got bondage, you've got enemies, and you can say, Lord, I have come to Christ. I belong to Christ. Part of my inheritance is that I am to be delivered because that's what you do to the seed of Abraham. You deliver. You didn't come to help angels, but you came to help the seed of Abraham. Help me. Amen. That's the way you can pray. Because you've come to Christ and you belong to Christ. What about turning from sin? You say, I've tried to turn from sin. Can't turn from sin. I struggle with sin. Illustration of Alvin York is a blessing to me because he's from this little town in Tennessee. Alvin York, uh, you, y'all probably hadn't heard of him. Well, he's from Tennessee for one thing, but, but also he lived and fought in World War I. And he is called the greatest hero of the First World War. He would go out and and he was, he was about six foot two and dashing, bold, brassy. And he would go out and he captured, on one mission, 132 German soldiers captured them alive. That's not counting the ones he killed. He knocked out 35 machine gun nests by himself on one mission. That's the kind of guy he was. Well, he grew up in this little town in Tennessee, and he was, some people would say, a hellraiser. Get drunk, get in fights, gamble all his money away, and didn't care anything about God. But one day, he met a little lady named Gracie Williams at Possum Trot Baptist Church. Oh, yeah. Mega church. Not really. But he did like Gracie Williams. And she said, I'm not marrying a drunkard and a gambler. And so you want to come to church with me, sing in the choir, you're welcome. (laughs) Alvin York, who single-handedly could take out 35 machine gun nests of the Germans in World War I is now singing in the choir at Possum Trot Baptist Church. How would God accomplish that? 
He sends this pretty little girl to him. See, here's the thing you all need to know about God. God's got so many weapons in his arsenal. When he gets ready to turn you, he knows how to do it. See, you are the sons of the prophets and the covenant God made with the Father saying to Abraham, God raised up his servant to send him to you to bless you by turning you. He will turn you. He can turn you. You just keep looking to him, would you? Just keep looking to him. Don't worry about the depth and power of the bondage of your sin. You look to the height and greatness and glory of your God. He will turn you. And you don't even have to be Jewish genetically if you're a Gentile from Possum Trot, Tennessee. He will turn you. That's the blessing of the seed of Abraham who trust in Jesus Christ. I want to add this also to it. And that is that this includes women. Look at Luke 13. I think we have this on the screen. Luke 13, 11, uh, 12, and 16, where Jesus goes to a woman who had a spirit of infirmity and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, it says, he called her to him and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and she was made straight and glorified God. And they fussed at him because it was a Sabbath. He said, you can't do that on the Sabbath. That's healing. We don't, we don't work on the Sabbath. Healing is work. And Jesus said in Luke 13, 16, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound these 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? couple of things about that. One is, the, uh, in the first century, a woman was very unimportant. They, they just, they couldn't testify in court. Credibility was not, and Jewish men would get up in the mornings, seriously, and pray, God, I thank you, I'm not a woman. Every day. That was part of their prayer life. I don't know if they were afraid that overnight they could have, God could have turned them into one. I don't know what was going on. But that was their prayer in the morning. First century woman had very little significance except as a homemaker. And so when Jesus comes up to this, Luke records this. He picks her out and he says, this is a daughter of Abraham. Whoa. See, you're not only sons of Abraham, you're daughters of Abraham. And he gives her this incredible significance. And I'll tell you something, and you could, somebody can correct me here if they find it, but in the New Testament, I'm not aware of any place where Satan himself came to attack somebody. But here in Luke 13, 16, whom Satan has bound. Look at that. Now, you may not, ladies, you may not think you're important. What Jesus, what Luke is doing in this story is telling you that you, your life as a woman, counted insignificant by many. 
But your life as a woman is a theater of spiritual warfare. Satan himself comes. And the Messiah himself comes. He lays hands on her. He touches her life. And he looses her and straightens her. See, that, there's a battle for your life. Even though you think you're insignificant. Satan wants to destroy you. Jesus has come to redeem you. By the way, uh, notice that Jesus does not speak to Satan here. Who's he speak to? The woman. Sometimes you, you know you hear people talk about casting out demons, and they take thirty minutes, an hour, a whole evening, talking to the devil. Jesus didn't say a word to the devil. He just spoke to the woman, said, "You're loosed." End of story. the mighty power and authority of Jesus in our life so when we come to the New Testament we find those who put their faith in Jesus Christ have deliverance that is their inheritance they have rescue they have resurrection and eternal life they are adopted as sons and daughters If, if Jews are viewed as elect how much more those who are of faith in Christ. Ephesians 1.4 He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That was spoken to Gentiles. Are they blessed? So are we, Ephesians 1, do we have every spiritual blessing in, in the heavenlies. Do they have Moses and the prophets? That is our scriptures for 2 Corinthians 1.20 says all of the promises of God are ours. Deliverance the turning from sin, the resurrection from the dead, being adopted as God's own people. I was listening to a testimony or a narrative last week. Y'all remember the shooting in Oregon? Was I think it was last week. And they were interviewing this uh, pastor whose daughter was in the school in Oregon where the guy broke in and was shooting students, killed about eight or nine, I think. And uh, as they were interviewing him, his daughter was actually in the room when the guy was shooting people. And she hit the floor at the sound of the gunshots, and he evidently shot one of the students who fell on top of her, and his blood got all over her, so the shooter thought she was dead. So he didn't shoot her, shot everybody around her and stepped over her. And as the, the, this pastor, who, that was his daughter, uh, Randy Scroggins was his name, pastor at New Beginnings there in a little town in Oregon. He said, as he describes how that these anxious parents were outside waiting for their children to emerge from the building, and he saw her coming and he ran to her, she ran to him, and he embraced her. And, and of course, he was crying. And he said, that... It's the greatest hug I have ever had. Now, I, I want to suggest, though, without diminishing that one, there's a greater embrace. You know what it is? It's when you come to God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Jesus Christ, and He embraces you as your you're his father, or he's your father, 
and you're his child. That is the greatest hug you will ever have. Remember it in Luke 15? The prodigal son comes home and the father embraces the son and kisses him. See, because once, once that happens, through Jesus Christ, you become the seed of Abraham. And all of the privileges, all the promises are yours. God goes to work in your life. This is what it means, I believe, to be in a, ch- a child of Abraham, and I believe this is what it means as an explanation why there's an exodus. Why there, is there an exodus of his people? Because they're children of Abraham. Why is there going to be a deliverance and a resurrection of our life? Because we're the children of Abraham through Jesus Christ. So if you do not know Christ through his death and resurrection, put your faith in him, I hope, and pray today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the day. We thank you that you are faithful to your covenant, that when when we become the seed of Abraham through Jesus Christ, you will keep your promises. And so we give you our life, we give you our future, we give you our problems, we give you our tomorrows, we give you our failures, we give you our sins and our sinfulness. We give you everything. For we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And now we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.